Hi, I am Eli, and I'm the spirit animal of the USFT, and um, my the person who claimed me was Craig Shipman. Yeah, so, well, basically there are like a combination of smaller things that you could exploit if you end up facing Shenlong. Um, he is scary, and I think that big kind of fear factor is one of the things that uh, stop people from uh, playing against him in an efficient manner. Howdy, friends. We got a very interesting path to podium covering the Swedish Nationals from late last year. Uh, it was a very interesting format for a two-day event and a neat way to kind of handle Nationals with a qualifier the first day and then kind of a finals round robin the second day. Uh, you get to hear about the infamous Shenlong list that won the event and, for some, started the controversy around that master along with the finish made by the uh, same or similar uh, list at the UK Nationals. Um, at the end of the episode, we talk about some vulnerabilities in Shenlong that you may not hear people talking about, so that's worth a listen. Uh, it's really good hearing their approaches to corrupted idols and plant explosives, something I thought that was uh, kind of unique. And uh, last but not least, we get to talk about how good insidious madness are in idols. Oh, again, don't stick around to the end. We have a great discussion on the state of Arcanists, Rezzers, and the Ten Thunders as entire factions. Um, all three guests make some really interesting points. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to three of the players from this year's Swedish Nationals event, and it was held in Sweden. The format of the event was very interesting. They had 14 players on day one and they played three rounds. But what they did is a little unique. They then took the top four players from day one and they moved them into a second round robin three round uh, event on day two. So basically you had to qualify the first day to be one of the top four people. And then those top four people played each other, three games, one against each other. And then the player with the best record, the best uh, vi highest victory points and the highest diff would end up winning the event. On the second day, the other 10 players then played in a second three-round event on the second day. So it's kind of the loser's bracket, for lack of a better term. Now, what's great about this is that, um, you know, you, you end up with, in the second day, uh, pairings are are fixed because everybody gets to play each other if you've qualified for that top four. And then the person with the best record would end up, you know, winning the event. If the two people had the same record, then they would go to victory points. And then if victory points were the same, they would go to who had the highest differential. What's really interesting is that the two gentlemen that ended up finishing highest tied. So not only did they have the same record, two wins, no losses and a tie, but the tie is when they played each other. 
They both had the same victory points at 15 victory points, and they both had a plus seven differential. Um, We could spend a whole episode talking about how crazy it is that that it worked out that way. But we're lucky because we have the two gentlemen that tied for first place on. So our first guest is uh, Victor Forsberg. He's one of the co-winners. Victor, welcome to the third floor. Thank you so much, and I'm very excited to be here. No, it's good to have you, man. So, Victor, um, I asked this question of all uh, guests on their first time on the show. How did you kind of find tabletop gaming and specifically Malifaux? Yeah, so I started out with uh, Warhammer 40k uh, way back when I was younger and played that for a pretty long time with some friends. Um, but then me and the same group of friends stumbled into uh, Malifaux after like trying out some other games like War Machine and Warmer Fantasy and so on a bit. Um, and for me, it clicked uh, like directly. It, it was a, it's a really great game. And it was, I think, in the start of Wave 2 in second edition. So like five, six years ago. Yeah. So what was it that made it click so much, Victor? That what, what, what differentiated it from the other games that you tried playing? Uh, I think mostly the uh, like this sense of scoring with uh, not only Wormer has always been like more killy focused, where in Malifaux you actually have the more scenario focused uh, games, um, and also the bit smaller skirmish size, size felt nice. Yeah, a little less uh, pressure on the wallet, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. Well, congratulations on your tie. Now, now we're going to talk to our second guest, uh, Joachim uh, Abramson. Uh, welcome to the third floor. Thank you. Thank you for invite, inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So you tied Victor, both playing head to head with him, as well as tying for the uh, overall event itself. Uh, <laughs> how did you come across Malifaux? Uh, well, I've I've always been into like video games and fantasy novels and things, but uh, I didn't get into miniatures until I started university. And a friend of mine like roped me into actually Warhammer 40k as well. Uh, we were playing some sort of kill team uh, slow grow league, uh, and I started out with playing Eldar and uh, had really fun time with the uh, with the skirmish kind of game. Uh, I tried to like upgrade uh, to go up in points and compete in regular games, but um, I didn't really think it was as fun as it was when there was more like in Kill Team, the focus on individual models and uh, smaller moves. So uh, when we came across Malifaux, uh, actually pretty much around the same time as Victor, I suppose, Wave 2, um, it really clicked for me as well. I really liked uh, the models, the aesthetic. I liked the really sneaky plays you could do with uh, hidden <laughs> schemes. And yeah, it's been so much fun. It's funny that both uh, uh, Yu Kim and uh, uh, Victor talk about you know the the idea of the scheme pools and uh, kind of the wind conditions of Malifaux, which um, you're just now starting to see games um, kind of. I don't want to say steal, but uh, be inspired by that concept. Um, it, it amazes me it's taken this long because I'm with both of you gentlemen that uh, that was definitely one aspect of the game that, that made it feel different um, and definitely hooked me in. Now, our third guest is Andreas Soder. He didn't make the top four on that day, but he ended up doing very well on the second day event. Uh, Andreas and I have been chatting for, uh, boy, several months now. He and I... Um, 
connected on Facebook and uh, we he actually helped me uh, get both of these guys on the show. So Andreas, welcome to the third floor. Well, thank you, Craig. It's g- glad to have, be here. Well, I feel like you and I have been buds for a while. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking a lot. I mean, yeah, we, a good we, bit. We, we both had the same interest to, to uh, make Malifor more public, and uh, yeah, so we show have a public profile out. Yeah, I agree. Now, Andreas, where are you? Like these gentlemen, did you f- kind of find Malifor via forty k? Uh, I did. Um, like I started with forty k when I was a lot. About 10 years old with our, our homemade rules <laughs> with my friends. <laughs> it was terrible. But finally, like. Probably more balanced than the real rules, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that. It was over 15 years ago I played now. So, uh, but again, like I had the longest break and from uh, Tabletop and I played Magic the Gathering for about 15 years. And then. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, I played pretty competitive and I played online and I played everywhere. I spent way too much money than I should have. Yeah. Uh, and then when, after I met my wife, uh, we, I was scouting my local hobby store and uh, I was figuring like we could pin some models together. So we picked up this cool looking box of Malifaux. So she picked the Lady Justice and I picked Pandora. So we picked nice. it up and it looked nice and everything. And then I was like, hmm. I wonder what's the rule about this game. So I managed to get a, I managed to get a, a demo game with a local player, and I fell in love with it. First game. That's great, man. That's great. It, um, it yeah, it, it was the models that drew me in first too. Um, I was uh, playing Guild Ball at the time uh, as part of my uh, freedom from uh, playing 40k. And uh, I'd always had a thing for Weird West and uh, was kind of poking around looking at models. And uh, yeah, the models hooked me. And then I started reading the rules. And uh, once I got my first game in, it was it was over for me. So, guys, what we're going to do here um, is I'm going to try to find out uh, from these gentlemen kind of, you know, what did they play? who they played against, um, some of the big decisions and highlights from the games, and really get an idea from all three of them how they managed to end up with such strong performances, both in the main event and in the side event. Um, so, you can, uh, can we talk about uh, kind of day one? Now, I don't want to go round by round, but can you can give me an idea of um, the three games, what masters you brought, and how those games went? Yeah, sure. Um, so I went into this uh, tournament playing actually only Shenlong. Uh, I know there's been quite a bit of talk about him <laughs> for good reason. You're not think, helping. You're not helping that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm prepared for the uh, shitstorm, if I might say so. <laughs> uh, but actually, so you soloed you soloed him day one. That's that's the that's the only keyword you played. Yeah, exactly. Actually, both days. Oh wow! So uh, you you played all six all six rounds. Yeah, uh, I did. Which and long. Now, um, for de- in day one, um, what were the? Th- do you remember the three keywords you played against? Uh, yeah, at first I played against uh, a local player called Alexander, who played Neverborn Lucius. Actually, nice. Uh, and my second game was against another local player, Tom Elise, who uh, played Colette. And my third and final game was actually against Andreas here, who played von Stuck. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. So you, your first two were, you know, against some control type masters. Vic, uh, von Stuck's got a little bit of a mixture of that of the three. And don't let the fact that Andreas is on the show influence this. Um, but what, what, of the three matches, what was the kind of the biggest challenge? 
Actually, I think all three games had like their own challenges. Uh, the first one ended with the uh, closest score uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I actually, the third game against Andreas specifically, uh, I was really worried about the game going into it. I had thoughts like tried to counterplay and strategize around meeting von Stuck for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> So it was a really stressful game. Uh, it ended up going well for me, but um, I think that definitely was the hardest game. So uh, in the Neverborn faction, um, you don't hear a whole lot of talk about Lucius. Um, did you find that to be uh, pretty effective? Yeah, it's actually it's a really difficult keyword to probably properly evaluate, I think. Uh, I see a lot of potential there, and it was difficult to like keep in mind all of the different things he could be doing. Uh, so I do think that he could be quite good, um, but I would need to see a lot more play. Yeah, I've only played against him in uh, as in Guild. Uh, one of our local players, Jesse, is an excellent uh, uh, Lucius player, and. Um, it is there's I, every time it, there's a surprise because he can come at you in so many different ways. Um, but I would be really curious and hopefully at some point we'll cover it here on the podcast to get a sense of, uh, you know, what Lucius in a Neverboard group, uh, group feels like. Um, I, I don't have a sense how different that keyword is uh, in Guild versus uh versus Neverborn. Andreas, how about you? Uh, we know what one of your matches was um, day one, but uh, let's talk about the other two. Yeah, so um, the first game I had was also against the same player, Colette, as Joachim had. Um, that was a very stressful one. Like I was, I kind of knew what she was doing uh, coming into it, I, and I uh, played Mostok, of course. Um, but I didn't realize like how quick she was up the board, yeah, even, and like how she pulled up her uh, mannequins. Like the, she had double, man, he had double mannequins. He just pulled it up and just was in my deployment zone early turn two, mm -hmm. and uh, I had to like he he completely left the middle and just went on the flanks and like I had to really really focus to uh, stop him and uh, it was a really hard game because I I had no idea what he was going to do. Um, now with Colette, you have kind of two options um, from a from a metagame standpoint. Either focus on her or ignore her. Which way did you go? I totally ignored her. Like, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I just tried to touch everything I could because I know as soon as I would, I was going to attempt to touch her, she was just going to be able to go away and pop up and do a nest of things to me. Um, uh, so of the two of your, uh, so you played Colette round one. What was your round two? Round two was against Ten Founders Misaki. Oh, nice. And I was really worried about going into this one too, because I was worried I was going to meet Shenlong. But uh, <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily uh, he brought Misaki. Uh, well, uh, again, Misaki comes with her own tricks. So it's yeah. like it was a uh, flank deployment, I believe it was. And uh, when she just put out the shadow markers everywhere, and yeah, like she can come, she can just come pop up everywhere. Like you never know. And you had to. Uh, like really take that into consideration when you plan your moves. Uh, luckily, now I also took Molly, so I actually almost removed all his shadow markers completely every turn. 
Good job. Yeah, so that really limited limit his access to go anywhere. So basically, he had like two turns when he popped up uh, Misaki end of end of turn. So she basically had no moves left left, and she had to pop up from a really bad positioning. Nice. Yeah, I when I've yet to play against Misaki, but um, it uh, that I think hiring Molly, even if you didn't declare her as your leader, is a strong move because um, she can be a hard counter there. Um, so, Andreas, in general, um, what is your feelings on Von Stuck? Uh, Von Stuck is my most played monster. I think I have about forty games with him in M3. Wow. Yeah, I really played a lot for coming up to this nationals game so i i really was going to be in the top four i was that was my goal all the time so <laughs> so um, a question for andres have you listened to uh jamie varney's um deep dive that we did on von stuck uh i have i did and is there anything um either that you felt he didn't talk about or some things that you've discovered but maybe we didn't cover there um some insights on von stuck that you have um well <sighs> I think almost everything got mentioned that I've been figuring out with him, uh, that one, uh, what I've been experimenting with. Um, so, uh, but um, one of his side notes, like I really like to take um, Toshiro. Toshiro, exactly. I really like to take Toshiro with one stock because um, it it really uh, um, because I have both supports with the course mar- markers made my uh, setup, and um, it's just. I have the card draw to easier pull up some easy summons and he, he protects really good the, his Ashigaris. Yeah, and I would imagine too, if you can get him close to those uh, undergraduates, can make them even hit harder. Yeah, it's it's just uh, for me, it's just a solid pick in the most in most of my setups. I I normally take Tushiro. Very nice. I haven't tried that yet, Victor, uh, Victor Andreas, so I'm going to have to try that. Um, it makes sense to me, though. Um, and for those of you listening, um, you should be ready to hear a lot more about Von Stuck. Um, he's, I think, one of the better masters in Rezzers, and the only thing that's kept him from uh, getting some noise and hearing people talk about him is the fact that uh, you know his box just came out. Um, so, Victor, how about you? Uh, can you kind of give us an idea of how day one went? Yeah. Uh, so first match was uh, me playing Sandeep versus uh, Eric playing uh, Gremlins Rider. Um, my second match was uh, Sandeep again versus Matthias Dreamer. Uh, and the last match uh, was a reckoning match that I re- didn't really want to play Sandeep in. So I yeah. chose Ironsides instead and played Kore, uh, the other, another person making the top four. Uh, he was playing uh, Neverborn Sarida, uh, and that game ended in a draw. So did you, um, of the three matches, was there any one that uh, you found particularly challenging? Probably the last one. Uh, I haven't really uh, prepared uh, Ironsides a lot before. I think I only played like one match before the event uh, with Ironsides. Um, and well, he brought a really tough uh, Sarida list where everything was really hard kill. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was pretty hard to get some points. I think we ended, like, getting just four points each. Yeah, yeah. Um, so by the time, uh, it hasn't come out while we're recording this, but by the time mm-hmm. this gets released, we'll have released our uh, deep dive on Ironsides. And uh, I'm telling you, um, you only have to play against Ironsides once to realize that there's a lot of untapped power there. And in the right hands, Ironsides is a really, really good master. Yeah, I agree. I can really feel the power there, but uh, there's still a lot of learning for me there. 
Now, the uh, speaking of power, though, another master that I'm still surprised we don't hear more about is Sandeep, because I think Sandeep is good in third edition. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I played Sandeep, as I said, the first two games and all of three games in day two. Uh, I think it's really, really good. Yeah, he he's not as dominating as he was in second edition pre-nerf. Um, but I think, um, and tell, I'd be interested to know if you agree, Victor, his, the abil- his flexibility um, is still there, which I think can, uh, can make him an easy kind of go-to. Yeah, yeah, I really agree. He can do almost anything. As I said, the reckoning is perhaps not uh, the best thing for him because of his summons, yep. but otherwise he can basically do anything you want. He's super flexible. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back from the break, I want to slow down just a little bit. We're going to go round by round and uh, really kind of lean in to learn uh, more about how uh, day two went for each of these guys. So we'll be right back. All right, so now we kind of see how these guys, you know, how uh, Yukim and uh, Victor qualified for day one to get to the uh, to the winners bracket. But I, um, the pools that we talk about here are actually played in both the side tournament and in the main event um, that second day. Um, and like I said, Andreas, uh, I think you ended up finishing second, right, uh, out of your um, side tournament. Uh, I actually won the side tournament. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. geez, I got all the winners on. I don't know why. I don't know why I had in my head you got second. So, wow. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about round one. So it was a flank turf war pool. You had harness the ley lines, vendetta, breakthrough, hold up their forces, and power ritual. Um, pretty interesting pool. You've got um, really three schemes that kind of force the action either on the center line uh in the backfield um or in the corners and on flank uh that power ritual is you know way out in the corners but then you've also got hold up their forces and uh vendetta which really can happen just about anywhere depending on how you pick it so andreas um first off uh what did you bring and what did you pick so going for this um when my opponent announced outcast, uh, I was figuring I should maybe take one stuck as he's the, my most play master. But mm-hmm. as it was a flank turf war, uh, I actually like Kirai. So I think that's a kind of good pool. Uh, I know this opponent from before. I know he played Leviticus in the second edition. Uh, so I think that it, it, I could make it work. Uh, but uh, when we announced monsters, he picked Jack Daw. Oh, wow. Uh, and I have some experience with Yakjaw as a racer. Uh, I never met him in Outcast, so I'm not really sure what uh, versatile models he goes with or upgrades. Mm-hmm. But um, it, so I, I felt little. Uh, it was not too good for me because I'm Kirai's average VP is five around her keyword, and he have a lot of terrifying. Yep. So I. Picked uh, in the end, I just figured that I would overwhelm him. So I picked my standard crew that's uh, Kirai, Ikiro, Datsuba, Lost Love, Two Sations, Two Onryu, Goryo, and One Shikome. And of course, nice. Whispers on Kirai. Um, he picked a rather elite crew with Jack Doa. Um, so he had Jack Doa, Montressor, hanged with Servant of Dark Power. Two guilty Midnight Stalker and Lady Legia. So I up under him quite good. 
uh, and because it was flank, uh, I just figured that uh, hold up the force and, and harness the ley line was should be pretty good because I had a, a easy to just put out summon models that could score me, um, hold up the forces, and just yep. go to the side with the ley lines while he was more elite, a little more like clumped up. So uh, I figured that I should uh, just go to the sides and try to hold him in the middle. Do you remember what schemes he picked? Um, I believe I can actually check that if you give me a second. He picked he picked Vendetta and Breakthrough. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, with an elite crew, he was pretty limited, so that makes sense. Yeah. So um, uh, let's see. Uh, we uh, everything went almost according to plan. Uh, so. Because he had so much terrifying, uh, he sang and jacked away himself. Uh, like I just made the decision, like I should just hold them up. So I sent my Ikuru missile into the middle of his crew and tie up four of them. She wow, uh, barely did any damage at all, but she had at least held them together. And he yeah. had this awkward situation to uh, either uh, disengage and try to walk around her and try to do something or kill her and then expect a new uh, Ikiro in later in the turn unactivated. So he chose to uh, not kill her, just leave her there, disengage out from her and try to do so be- the best he can out from that. And uh, because of this, uh, because the how the positioning of the terrain was, he had to like squeeze himself to between two houses to like access to the middle and then from there try to spread out on the sides to uh, get to my turfs and get to my side of the board but I just made a wall of summons with uh, Kirai and uh, just control the sides uh, the flanks of the board so I easily scored two points with Leyline and both uh, honest um, hold up the forces with my summons very nice very nice. Um, what was the final score? Uh, the end score was uh, 6-4 to me. Very nice. Uh, how about you, Victor? Uh, what was your matchup into uh, round one of day two? So my first match was actually against Joachim. Uh, so I was going to play Santip and uh, going into Shenlong. Uh this was the the match I probably dreaded the most since I haven't really matched up against Shen Long and heard a lot of horror stories. Um, but anyway, I chose to play Sadip, as I said, uh, with uh, Banasuva, Kandara, uh, and an Ice Golem. Uh, on the Ice Golem, I put Magical Training uh, to hopefully mitigate some of the Shen Long's uh, attacks in case he wanted yep. to hit him. Uh, I also chose a Steam Reckoning Swarm with Magical Training, uh, a Carlos Vasquez for like scheme running, uh, and then the Medical Automaton also to hopefully help out against Shenlong in case he wanted to deep dive in on uh, Sandeep himself. Yeah, now, uh, obviously you lost 8-0, right? Because you were playing against uh, Shenlong? Yeah, obviously. No, uh, <laughs> no, we actually managed to tie the game uh, at 3-3. Oh, wow, low-scoring game. Yeah. Um, if you want, uh, Joachim could perhaps talk about this list, and then we'll talk about the how the game went. That sounds great. Yeah, so I can only agree with Victor that I... This game was super stressful. 
I went into it kind of expecting Sandeep, and just from reading about him, I've uh, I think that he provides like a really powerful kind of summoning, uh, summoning good models. Uh, with very few limitations, yeah. and they are surprisingly tanky as well. Uh, so I thought that I had to make some sort of crew that could potentially either kill uh, Sandeep himself or try to somehow keep up with killing off those summons so that I wouldn't be overwhelmed. Um, I ended up going with Shenlong, two aspiring students, a samurai, uh, the lone swordsman, a charm order, thunder archer, Tanuki and a low river monk. Interesting. So you 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 flexed out to a lot of versatile models. Yeah, I often do. Actually, um, I think my personal opinion is that the monk keyword is pretty average at best. A lot of the models are super squishy and pretty unreliable as long as you don't like have twelves and thirteens on hand to keep throwing on them, and you usually don't want to do that on a minions defense. Yeah. Group. So, um, what was it that um, kind of led to the tie? Was there a moment in the game where, well, first of all, uh, and usually when you have a tie game, uh, there's one person that lost the tie and one person that won the tie, right? So there was somebody at some point that was behind and ahead, but they eked out a eked out a tie. Um, uh, kind of going into the final turn, was it, was somebody ahead or behind? Or were you guys just neck and neck the whole time? I think we should actually like go back to the first turn since that was a huge turning point, yeah. point in this game. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, se- there were, were se- uh, several like big back and forths uh, that actually pretty much had me giving up on the game like two times between wow. turn one and two, <laughs> uh, and then it like turned back into an even game and. Um, the big turning point, the way I see it, was at the end of turn one. I saw the opportunity for Shenlong to like uh, go past a lot of Victor's crew uh, and reach the Medibot at the back uh, with a falling rave kick to basically uh, guarantee five damage with the hand I had. So I thought that I could end turn one by killing the Medibot. And I agonized over whether doing that would be the right thing to do or not, uh, thought for a long time. And I ended up like going, <laughs> going all in on this really, in a way, desperate strategy <laughs> that I think was actually pretty good in the end, but it was also extremely risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so- probably like the right decision, uh, though that also ended up him up uh, in the middle of my crew, but also next to Sandeep, which had me very scared. <laughs> sure, sure. So d- did the Metabots survive turn one? No. Yeah. So so now the Metabots down, Victor. You've got Shenlong right in the middle of your crew, way too close to uh, Sandeep for your taste. W- what's the move there? What, what happens turn two? Uh, so it wasn't actually the actual end of turn one. Uh, I had like one or two activations left and managed to get the ice golem into Shenlong. Nice. Uh, and with some pretty good flips, I managed to take Shenlong down to half health or slightly below half health, I think. Yeah, a severe on a negative flip, I think. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, so that was pretty lucky. Uh, but it then uh, came to like the initiative flip on turn two. Uh, I at least thought that would decide a lot of things. 
so who won who won the initiative i managed to win the initiative uh, and thought well the ice golem probably has the best chance of killing Shenlong. um so the first attack should have taken uh or well uh, the first attack hit to take him down a couple of wounds uh to like two wounds i think the second attack hit again did three damage uh I think Joachim was a bit undecided whether he would stone that or not. Uh, yeah. But he decided to stone it, flipped a severe, uh, so Shenlong was still above hard to kill, uh, and then my golem couldn't kill him anymore. Uh, he still like punched his third attack and uh, did the second or the next to the second point of damage. Uh, so he's down to one, but he survived the first activation. And Joachim, at that point, I assume that you activated Shenlong, right? Yeah, I definitely did. Uh, Shenlong on one wound left. And uh, what basically happened was that I managed to use all of my high cards to kill Sandeep. I did the Shenlong oh, wow. thing that most people are scared of. I stoned for a ram to guarantee the trigger to uh, do irreducible damage. And I think I also used Chi to get up to stat 8. So it takes a lot of resources, but I figured that killing Sandeep was super important in this game. Yeah. Uh, and given the chance, I took it, and then Shenlong immediately died after. So we played in basically the entire game without Masters. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, so, uh, you know, at that point, uh, Joachim, you're going into turn two saying that like that this could be terrible. Like, I could... I. I could lose this badly. Taking out Sandeep is huge, though, because that's a big part. I mean, he's one of those masters that that's a, that's a uh, a linchpin to the crew um, and to the strategy. Um, playing out over the next couple turns, um, was it just a matter of was there a lot of conflict, or did you guys just kind of go do your thing and uh, stay out of each other's way? Uh, there was definitely a lot of conflict. Uh, we. There was basically two flanks to the game where I tried to uh, position my Thunder Archer and like take out models to uh, hamper Victor's ability to scheme properly. Uh, so it ended up being a really uh, low-scoring game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you guys tied, um, which we you know later find out uh, you guys were going to tie for the overall event itself. Um so, Joachim, for those that have never played against Sandeep or maybe are struggling against Sandeep, can you give any tips on um, you know, kind of what they can do to potentially beat him or things to watch out for? Uh, yeah, Sandeep is one of those masters that is so flexible that it's like difficult to uh, point at any single weakness uh, that you can exploit. Uh, but I would say that... Trying to go for Sandeep, or at least pressure Sandeep, is pretty important since he isn't all that tanky. Uh, yep. Shield 2 is pretty good, but only 10 wounds, uh, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, so if you can put pressure on Sandeep, you should do it since he brings so much to the table. Like lots and lots and lots of good models, and also that like semi-obey semi thing uh, yep. that helps immensely with scheming. So if you can get rid of Sandeep himself, that's super important. And, and Victor, yeah, Victor, same question to you, uh, but reversed. So for those that are scared to death of Shen Long, um, any, anything you took away from that or any advice you can give? I mean, I'm probably still scared to death of Shen Long. Um, 
but I don't know. It feels like you can't really leave Shen Long uh, alive, much as you shouldn't leave like um, Sandeep alive. Uh, if yep. he just gets to do his thing, then he'll delete models each turn and probably uh, win the game by that. Um, but honestly, I haven't really figured out a good way to handle Shen Long other than just trying your best to kill him. Well, and I think it's okay that it's just as simple as that. I mean, you're talking about a master that's going to be in the thick of things. Um, and uh, he's a problem. He can't stick around. So I, the simplicity of that doesn't invalidate a, uh, at all. Um, in general, though, you know, uh, Joachim brought a lot of versatile models. So as the next couple, several turns played out, um, what, which of his models you think um, really was the, was the critical pick for him? Um, who who, who, who um, scored him the points and had the biggest impact on the table of all those versatiles he brought in? Um, the Lone Swordsman probably cleared up one of the flanks pretty good uh, by himself. And also the the Charm Warder did the really clutch... One um, of his attack has the trigger to just kill a summon outright. Yeah. Uh, so he managed to kill the the one wind gamut that I summoned turn one. Um, and that probably denied him at least one point. Uh, because the twin coming probably should have given me a point on like breakthrough or something like that. Yeah, Lone Swordsman's a good model. I've only faced him in a Yan Low crew, um, and uh, he became a target priority uh, because I you just read his card and you realize just how good he is. So you can uh, obviously the Ice Golem was a big uh, part of the crew that um, impacted the game. Was there any other models that uh, the Victor brought that um, you felt uh, really um, had a big impact? I think there were multiple models that had a big impact on my overall strategy in a way. Um, it, two of the models that really stand out to me are Kandara with her ability to give the crew a lot of card draw. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm worried about when I'm playing Shenlong. Um, the, he is super efficient if he can like hit his attacks and have severes left over to do is five damage since moderate of three isn't all that impressive. It's good, but not uh, not the kind of damage people are scared about. So Kandara bringing a lot of card draw uh, was one thing that worried me, and also Carlos, of course, since he could pretty much do uh, all of the schemes. There were three schemes in this pool that uh, Carlos would do really efficiently by himself, so I had to focus on him. So that takes care of uh, round one and day two. Um, we know that you guys played each other in Tide, which means we have uh, some wins coming up here. So let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about round two, uh, which is a plant explosives round. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see how that plays out. We'll be right back. Hi guys and girls, ladies and gents, I'm Kevin Smith, I'm the Southwest boy living in the southeast of the UK. I contribute $18, well £13 a month to Third Floor Wars. And why? Well, I work 50 hours a week as a supermarket manager, have three children, so in my spare time, I just want to play foe. And if I can't do that, the next best thing is listening to the Third Floor Wars podcast. Not only do I hear about what I play, and the gaps in my knowledge, but I also hear about all of the cruising tactics that I need to beat and often how they've even performed in recent tournament reports. The online store has some great merchandise, including t-shirts and mugs to buy now to show your support. You should be a Patreon too. 
So pause this episode and go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars or grab the link in the show notes. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. I want to take a quick minute to thank some of our newest patrons. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Thank you to Andre, LaShawn Allen, Gear Hagen, Dave Gross, Vlad Barl, Gazgul, Robert Singer, Joseph Gerard, Matt Carter, Corinne Soles, and Matthew Overton. We appreciate it. Okay, so now we go into round two. Round two was wedge plant explosives. It's had assassinate, dig their graves, deliver a message, detonate the charges, and harness the ley lines. Um, so, Victor, um, with that pool, kind of what were your first thoughts when you saw the pool? Well, uh, as we said, the Sandeep is super flexible. Uh, I really, I mean, he can, he can do most things. Uh, so... It, it's and I played him uh, most of day one and the first game day two, so he felt the most comfortable. Yeah. Um, so I I decided to play him uh, and went up against Kore, the my opponent from the third uh, round in day one. Mm-hmm. Um, though this time he was going to play Dreamer instead. Uh, I played. Uh, luckily, I played against Dreamer like two times at least before the tournament, which have given me at least some insights. Um, and so I ended up with uh, a crew of Sandeep and Benazua, of course, uh, with Kandara, uh, Carlos, uh, Windgammon, uh, and the Souls of Mine with medical training for some scheming, uh, a fire gammon to then build into a fire golem. Uh, mm-hmm. And then as a bit of a tech pick, I chose Elijah Porgman. Uh, playing against Dreamer before, I've uh, faced the issue that uh, terrifying can be a problem, uh, especially when I usually bring uh, an Arachnid Swarm into that spot, uh, which has just a VP4. Um, but Elijah is quite a good uh, beater uh, and has Ruthless. So that's yep. pretty nice. Um, and Corey was then playing uh, Dreamer with Lord Jumpy Bits, uh, with a Weaver, Hinamatsu, Serena Bowman, uh, two Daydreams, and then Vasilisa together with two Wicked Dolls. Oh, that's a good crew. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was really scary. So how did it play out? Um, so we, uh, at the end of turn one, I think, uh, Hinamatsu just charged into the middle of my crew, um, mm-hmm. managed to kill one of my fire gamins that should have been brought into a golem, uh, so it disrupted those plans a bit, um, and then it was basically, at, the, at least at the start of turn two, was trying to handle Hinamatsu and getting her killed. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, on a flank, uh, Chompy was trying to chase down Carlos from getting me a lot of victory points. Uh, and on the other flank, he was trying to have Vasilisa with uh, some uh, some wicked dolls and uh, he, uh, and the Widow Weaver to drop some bombs, basically. At the end, I'm, I guess I managed to just eke out some 
some wins here and there uh, and kill uh, kill a bunch of things and deny some points in order to eke out a 5-3 win. Oh, wow. Now, did you end up being able to put together a golem or did that just dash the plans and you never went yeah, back to it? No, turn, turn two, well, I got the golem. Um, gotcha. The, it's usually pretty easily easy to at least get it together uh, at some point. Um, though not getting it turn one is a bit of a problem uh, since then you're you're not really doing that much with it uh, on turn two if it isn't built together in turn one. So, Victor, in general, kind of what is your uh, approach to Corrupted Idols? Um, how do you play that strategy? Uh, so this one was actually Plant Explosives, not Corrupted Idols. Or Plant Explosives, I meant. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with this crew, uh, I basically try to have, like, Carlos can take two bombs. He's such an efficient scheme runner that he can just run out on the flank. And if he isn't properly chased down, he can score some points easily with that. Um, but I, but as for my general strategy, I guess just with Sandeep, I'm usually not getting that deep into the enemy territory, uh, but more playing, uh, planting my bombs pretty close to the center lines, uh, at least the, the first couple of bombs, uh, and then just trying to deny as much as I can. Play, playing defense. Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how, do you remember off off the top of your head how much how many uh, explosives he scored? Did he get one, two, three points off it? Do you remember? Uh, yes, give me a second. He got uh, there. Um, so I got two, and he actually got two. Gotcha. Uh, so I didn't really manage to, or well, he managed to deny me a bit, and I managed to deny him a bit. Um, Chompy managed to chase down the, um, the Carlos. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, and I guess I killed Vasilis or Weaver at some point. Got it. I don't really remember. So, uh, Andreas, uh, tell me about your uh, round two. So, round two was a quite funny one because um, I got paired against all the permanent two from day one. So, uh, 10 funders. <laughs> uh, and as this was also a plant explosives, I picked the same crew again and he picked the same crew again. So we had oh, a rematch. <laughs> so that was kind of, that was interesting. So we had a Misaki against Molly. Um, and my Molly list is, yes, my standard Molly list for explosives. So I have Molly, uh, Necrotic Machine, Rogue Necromancy, Archie, Forgotten Marshall with Whisper, two Cruel Guns and two Night Terrors. So, nice. and he had Misaki, uh, Shang, um, Minaka Ray, uh, Yamasuko, Yamasuko, Yasunori, mm-hmm. Torakage, Don Serpent, and then one Waku Raider. That's a good crew. Yeah, so he had a quite heavy crew. Um, with, uh, like, I have really much respect for Yasunori. Joachim have, this have damaged me from second edition. Mm-hmm. And it still does pretty well in this edition too. Like he's not as as good, but he's still pretty damn good. Um. So again, plant explosives. So because my crew is so light and have so many models, it was easy for me to just put put out my bombs on my cruel guns and night terrors, and easy just to run up and uh, deploy them almost immediately. Um. 
he because he had a more tough crew uh he had i felt like he had some problem putting out his bombs he ended up putting two on misaki and i it's quite easy for her to well put out the bombs but it's not really what he wanted to do with her in the end so and it's it showed on the turns we played yeah uh, because he he, he uh, didn't really get time to do it in real um so, and one more thing that's uh, quite interesting because in my um, uh, deployment zone, I had a big box, two inch. So I just had Mo- st- st- uh, put Molly on that box and just stood there almost the whole game because uh, we didn't have so tall terrain. So she basically saw his whole crew all the time. So mm-hmm. with the lift, lift caress, uh, he had to uh, he had to uh, do some annoying things to avoid that damage from her, from Molly. <laughs> Yeah, that less caress can be a nice um, speed bump for Yasunori. Yeah, so the the thing with Yasunori, uh, in the turn two, he decided he had to do something because he he had so many expensive models and he ended up like just circling around, not like really engaging. Meanwhile, I was just pushing up and dropping my bombs and he didn't get anything done. So to do something, he just decided to... Uh, it was time for Yasunori to do something. So he went up and charged a cruel gun almost next to Molly, killed it quite easy. And then he realized that his only defense that he um, re- uh, reduce uh, damage uh, depending on uh, suit and how many cards uh, the opponent had on his hand doesn't work against Molly's uh, left caress. Yep. So he basically almost killed himself. And when he realized it, he just said it was too late to do anything. So he just went through with it. Um, so he had activated like four life uh, Yasinori just next to my Molly uh, early turn two. So I just took my town, stole the, stole the turn out. And when he didn't have any hand left because I was quite aggressive against him, I just did attack him twice and did uh, unreducible damage and killed his Yasunori. So the one thing I think that's interesting there, Andreas, is, um, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to approach plant explosives. And um, you, what your opponent did is not uncommon, which is, you know, load up the master or load up a henchman. But it's interesting. You spread out your bombs to just the little guys, to the minions. Is that something you always do or is that uh, something you did specifically because of this matchup? I do it because like the Krulegans are so good with it because I have two uh, keep anchors to uh, jump mm-hmm. to and both have the rogue necromancy and arch to jump to. So I basically just walk up with rogue necromancy and the archie on different flanks and then I just jump up to them and successfully uh, drop the bombs turn one. Yep. And uh, that may, that op- opens up the possibility to uh, deny my opponent more bombs the next turns and his... Um, strategies and the schemes so andres i've had people on the show that are big fans of the of the uh night terrors and i've had people on the show that i uh, think they're garbage uh you took two of them so obviously you don't think they're garbage where, where do you find value in uh the night terrors uh what i really like about them is um the concealment aura it yeah. really helps a lot and it's enough you know i like it it's many opponents too that like Forget, forgets just forgets about it never takes it in, in consideration and then when they just realize like okay i'm gonna toss obey on you uh, or something uh, no minus flipped um do you use them as bodyguards or are you keeping them near the rogue necromancy and archie or are you you letting them kind of do their own thing i normally uh, at the at least at the first turns i normally uh, uh, so the thing is with molly screw is it's quite hard to uh, like 
position them perfect. You need, it needs a lot of practice um, because uh, when you drop the discarded card for Night Terrors, forgot, uh, forgotten ability, they will push and they will damage when they push too. Um, so you need to like make sure you have everything perfect set up. So uh, normally the first turns I have them following some bigger model, but then later on like just breaks out and uh, scheme and uh, yeah, in this case should plant bones for me. Yeah, no question. Um, so what was the final score? The final score was a win with 5-4. So it was very hard. It was hard. So uh, uh, also one more key point about this game I want to mention. Uh, both day one and day two, he picked Minako Ray. And Minako Ray had have this real annoying thing. If you damage it, it puts um upgrade on you. That's yeah. Uh, summons things if you die and and just damage you if you keep damaging it. Uh, but as, uh, both day one and day two, I just had forgot the marshal, run up to him and put him in a box. Oh, nice. Very so nice. He got stuck there both games uh, for yeah two turns. He basically did not do anything. Meanwhile, uh, forgot the marshal's um, bonus action is a summon. So I just... Uh, ran up once, shot him, boxed him, and then summoned. And I did that twice. So he he really denied it. Very, very nice. Well, that's a good win, man. That's a good win. Yukim, how about you? How did your round two go? Um, so my round two, interestingly, was uh, also basically a rematch of the first day. Um, it wasn't the exact same scenario, but uh, uh, I think it was... I played uh, Alexander with Lucius. Uh, in another strategy first, but now it was plant explosives instead. Uh, but the scheme pool was fairly similar, and we ended up picking basically the exact same crews again. <laughs> uh, so, again, a rematch in a way. But this one, this one went pretty differently. Uh, I got a really strong start. I managed to uh, block him really well since he. He had a doppelganger go up on one flank, and I managed to like measure out the terrain and the distance to the edge of the table and uh, see that if I put Yasunori here, he can't go past. So uh, there was like this passage uh, right beside a big building that was just the right uh, distance from the table edge so that it was basically impossible to get past Yasunori. So... I managed to like win that flank pretty easily. Uh, on the other flank, uh, he had the Agent 46 or 47. I can't remember exactly. Uh, and the Agent turned out to be surprisingly annoying for Shen Long, since not being able to cheat against him <laughs> was really, really tough. He did quite a lot of damage, but I managed to uh, overpower that flank uh, after a while as well. And from that point, I just played super aggressively and tried to kill a lot of Lucius models since uh, Lucius crew overall doesn't feel very tanky. Yeah. And uh, in the end, I could win with 7-2-2. Two, two, oh, wow. Mostly because of, like, his model didn't get past the uh, center line with the uh, level of threat I had from Shenlong, Yasunori, a samurai, and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of smaller models that could also uh, threaten his smaller models. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, do you think that there was something um, that could have he could have done better, or things that would have? Uh, do you think have had a bigger impact on the game? 
this particular game, I think it's a difficult one. He could have probably scored more VP if he had picked other schemes. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, my, I felt like this this game was pretty much in my favor from crew selection. Uh, I thought that the first time we played, uh, I would uh, have a big advantage as well. But uh, in that game, I ended up getting like this uh, very strangely eerily bad hands while in this game i instead got extremely good hands so (laughs) that made a huge difference makes the game easier (laughs) yeah it does (laughs) i typically don't like to uh, put too much weight in my like uh, analysis of a game uh, on i don't want too much of it to be about the hands but i definitely think that uh, think that both of these games the cards we drew had a big impact yeah, and the reality is I'm the same way, uh, Yukum. I, I don't like to blame, quote unquote, blame the cards, right? Um, yeah. Whether it be, you know, he won because he had great hands. or but, but the reality is, is that you can have huge swings if you have both situations happening where one player is consistently lucky in their draws and the other player is having a tough time. And that's just the reality of it. Um, luckily, structurally, that's pretty rare. You know, usually it evens out because it's got a, you know, it's a random number generator, but with a fixed pool of numbers um, because of the way the cards work. But, you know, in the same way I say stop blaming the cards because you don't learn anything if you blame the cards. You know, we're also not idiots in saying that, you know, the cards are a factor, um, uh, but they're just they're not going to cause the swinginess that dice will. Yeah, exactly. And especially in a game like this where uh, he had a crew that was not uh, especially tanky, uh, all it takes is basically uh, like one uh, statistically uh, statistically odd round is yep. enough for him to lose like half of his crew. Yeah. Uh, so you, you punish him for having that bad hand. Yeah, basically. Um, and yeah. Uh, it's it's really difficult to play from that sort of position where you yeah. have a bad hand. Uh, that's something that I've been like struggling with and trying to improve for uh, for years by now in Malifaux. How to play with a bad hand? So a lot of times switching gears um, and, yeah. and and handling that can be can be tough. And the other thing that's tough, man, is you know I I think Lucius is better than people give him credit for, but nothing will. Uh, crush a Lucius turn like a bad hand because Lucius has so many target numbers to do what he's trying to do. And if you're not, if you don't have the hand to push through those key ones and are just relying on top decking some of those um, uh, target numbers that can, that can make up for a really bad turn uh, with Lucius. And unlike to your point, unlike other crews, um, they, they can't just uh, sit back and survive uh, the turn uh, to get through that bad hand uh, because it's, it's not hard to, to bring down some of those models. Um, so uh, I, I, too bad for him. Good for you. Uh, but uh, too bad for him. That's that, that sucks. Well, that kind of covers uh, round uh, round two. Let's uh, take a quick break and we get back from this break. I want to talk about the final round, uh, but before we do that um, uh, you can, so right now you're on one win, one tie and yeah. what's your differential uh i i think it's like plus five by this point and how about you victor uh i'm at plus two instead 
Okay, so right now, so again, we know we know what ends up happening here, but it's the pressure's on Victor um, to uh, not only win, but yeah. you're going to have to get some VP, uh, get some differential in place in order for you to uh, even think about uh, coming out ahead at that point. So uh, let's find out how that played out. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than Mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. All right, so round three. Uh, we uh, know Andreas is going to have a good round because he ended up winning this. Um, we know Victor is going to have a good round because he ended up um, being able to catch up to Yukim. And obviously, Yukim, you're going to have a win as well because we know you had two of them. So I'm going to finish with Victor. Uh, so Yukim, I'm going to go right to you. Let's talk about your third round. Uh, yeah, so my third round was against Kora, who Victor also played earlier. Uh, and against me, Kora picked Dreamer. Uh, I was really, really hoping that he would go for Sarida, since uh, one of my close friends who I've played against a lot uh, also plays Sarida, and I, I've been able to like come up with some really strong counter-tech in 10 Thunders. Yeah. Uh, but he ended up going with Dreamer instead, uh, which was the option I feared the most, since I feel like it's really, really difficult to keep up with the Dreamer player uh, with the amount of uh, powerful summoning that he has. Yep. Um, so also me and Koda, we've, we've had uh, a bunch of really, really, really close games er- earlier as well. Uh, he is from the south of Sweden, uh, the meta that they have down there. And when I have traveled for tournaments uh i typically end up going up against him and we always have really really tough games so Mm -hmm. i was pretty scared going into this uh you know and i forgot to mention the pool let me do the pool real quick um so we had standard corrupt idols with claim jump take prisoner power ritual search the ruins and outflank so i'm going to go back to a question i asked earlier uh but when i got the pool uh the the strat wrong what you know going into corrupted idols on standard um kind of what is what is the approach so when it comes to corrupted idols, regardless of what kind of crew I'm playing, I definitely want to try to save resources, save cards to be able to impact initiative. Uh, I feel like a huge part of uh, an uh, idols game is about making sure that the idols preferably end up being where you can take them, and yep. if not somewhere far out of the way where the opponent can't take, take them. Um, so I try to prioritize that really. Uh, uh, that was my top priority basically in this game. And do you, in your, in your crew, do you, you don't have a whole lot of card draw in your crew, do you? 
Uh, no, I suppose I can get card uh, some card draws as I could take Sensei Yu, but I feel yeah. like he's a bit too expensive for what he does. Um, and I also know about the trick. I've been considering doing the thing with Kitty Dumont, uh, bringing in an out-of-keyword model to uh, basically just hit Yasunori and draw six cards per turn. Yep. Uh, a really, really cheesy combination. Uh, but I haven't really gotten around to actually making a, some sort of proxy or conversion of her. So uh, I, I don't really have that sort of uh, easy, efficient card draw to use. So that that leaves you then to you know get what you can in your hand, and you're you're keeping, you know, keeping a severe, I would assume, in your hand uh, from round to round to really kind of hopefully help you control those idle drops. Yeah, basically. And what's interesting in this kind of game is since he played Dreamer, and one of the big parts about Dreamer is that you really need to save a high card for his summoning to be yep. efficient. So I think most turns he used his, he saved his high card for summoning and I used my equally high card for winning initiative mm -hmm. most turns. And that had a big impact on the kind of scoring we had. Uh, he fell behind on the strategy quite early. So uh, I had a lead that I had to, try to protect while most of my crew was dying around me, but I at least got the VP. What did the score end up being? Uh, the score ended up being 5-3, I believe. Um, and uh, if I'm wrong, I believe Andreas can uh, correct me. Um, so so you, you gained an, an additional two victory points there. So uh, that, that dug even a deeper hole for Victor. Um, so that, that's, that's interesting. Any tips for people facing against Dreamer? Things that you think that they should keep in mind in order to uh, potentially uh, beat a Dreamer player? This is also a really difficult kind of problem to solve. Uh, I do think that uh, you should expect Stitched to come up. So if you have some sort of tech that is good against Stitched, uh, it's an important thing to bring it. Uh, attacks against willpower is good. Being able mm -hmm. to ignore armor is also pretty good. And especially with the kind of crew Koara used with uh, Hinamatsu, uh, Vasilisa, and uh, Widow Weaver. Um, he had like lots of models where armor uh, was a big problem. So yep. me having a samurai was a good thing for me. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, Andreas, how was your uh, third round? Yeah, so my third round, I got paired against my good friend Matthias. He is my training buddy, and he's the one I have my training against all summer. <laughs> uh, so we uh, know each other pretty well, and he plays Neverborn. Um, he uh, knows I like Von Stuck, and I know he also likes Dreamer. Uh, but just to spice it up, the last game this day, I actually picked Kurai and surprised him a lot. Um, so... Like you said, it's a standard uh, Corrupted Idols. Uh, so I just picked my Karai crew with uh, Ikiru, Datsuba, Lost Love, two sessions for Onryo, Gurya, and Shikome because I just wanted to uh, spread wide, co co control the idols, and uh, just control the board. I know he also likes to go elite heavy with his streamer because he just makes up the dead with his summons. 
and he really likes his uh, stitch together because they are broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so he uh, what he end pick up this time was really much of the same like a normal do. He picked Dreamer, Chompy, Widow Weaver, Carver, Teddy, Serena, and an uh, Insidious Madness. Oh, wow, that is an elite crew. It's super elite crew. I was actually surprised that he went this elite. I always always expecting that he would actually hire one or two stitched. Uh, he yeah. normally goes three stitch in the beginning uh, because they are just that good. Um, and you can't do anything about it. And then they bypass everything. <laughs> so, yep. um, but they actually went with zero when he was determined to just summon them instead. Um, I, for this, uh, I picked, um, uh, I take Pris, take prisoner on Teddy and I picked outflank because with his elite crew, I could just easily take the sides while yep. he was busy in the middle. Uh, so what again? I did what Kira is good with. I sent up Ikiro with uh, with a couple of um, sessions, and he immediately was locked down with her in the in his deployment uh, turn one, and he had to like figure out how to deal with that. Um, his he uh, managed to uh, walk around and kill Ikiro first time, and just. Tried went straight to the middle, and because he claimed them, which I didn't know uh, at that point, I could have figured it out. Depend just looking at his crew. Uh, um, he has pushed out, and but he didn't come that far because he just met my wall of continuous summoning, and mm -hmm. he, he he just couldn't do that much that game at anything to be honest. So, Andres, we don't. I, I hear talk uh, about Carver all the time in Dreamer. Did did and some people? Uh, it's one of those models that some people love him, some people hate him. Did Carver have an impact on the game? Uh, Carver did do that much this game. I have faced him before, and every time I faced him, like he have a okay stat line and he have a building crit, but with a uh, like he. In the end, all they did was just fire breathing. He has fire breath and blasted on my models, which was good. At, but that was all he did. And it mm -hmm. was, I just felt like it was not enough for the point value of it. Like, I was not impressed by it. Something yeah, I, he's expensive. Yeah. Uh, something I I'm very impressed by is like like again the stitch togethers and the insidious madness. So the insidious madness is a really good take in um, corrupted idol because they have this really annoying uh, push without defense. So you, you can't do anything. He he just goes in there and push all your models away, and you can't flip or defense. It it just happens. Yep. And it, it's you, you can't block any idols against it. So it's real annoying. And they really hard to kill also for, for that soulstone point. Uh, they have terrifying, they are corporeal and really fast. And it, it was just hard to deal with. Um, one key point of the game was in um, turn three, I charged in the Ikiru on his chompy bits and Red Joker the damage and killed him straight out. Nice. Un unactivated too. So my 
opponent, my good friend Matthias, he just took a deep sight at that time and just looked at me with tired eyes. <laughs> <laughs> what was the final score? The final score was 6-2 to me. Um, so he tr- really, really tried to take the Sersha wins, but I denied everything. And he managed to take the claim jump on his teddy because it the end, end score um the end scoring he didn't take the first score but he he, because he was in the middle for the end he got this point for that well and that worked out i mean that worked out in his favor too because you had picked him as your take prisoner target so you were you were not about to get him off the table either exactly so that was the point too like i only scored the take prisoner point because of the end scoring as well because i i was i hold all this I, I hold he held his crew together so much, so his te- his teddy was never alone. So I couldn't mm-hmm. get the take prisoners until the end of the game. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of both gave each other the point at the end there with him having claim jump and you having take prisoner. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny and on the same model. Um, so uh, Victor, you have quite a hole to dig yourself out of here. Um, we know that uh, you ended up at. Uh, plus 15, uh, Joachim has put the pressure on um, with coming out with a, a, a higher uh, VP and uh, differential. So who did you face? Yeah, so I, of course, then faced Alexander. Um, I kept playing uh, Sandeep. Uh, felt, felt pretty secure uh, with that. And Alexander chose to play Euripides for this match. Nice. Yes. Um, I played him once before, uh, so I at least had a rough idea about what he did. Um, I chose basically the same list as the game before. Uh, Sandeep, Banasuba, Kandara, Carlos, uh, Fire Gammon, Wind Gammon. It's also minor weird magical training, but instead of... Um, Elijah Borgman, uh, I instead chose uh, mm-hmm. the Steam Arachnid Swarm uh, with magical training instead of the perhaps usual diesel engine. Because uh, if my, I thought at least the, the, the Euripides crew were, had a lot of triggers, uh, so the counter spell would yep. come in nice, uh, was my idea at least. Uh, and Alexander was playing, as I said, Euripides uh, with the Promedial Magic, of course. He had Thune, uh, two giants, Cyclops, uh, Iggy and Serena Bowman, uh, and then Eldritch Magic on either Thune or a giant. I don't really remember which one uh, to get the Dispel Magic. Um, so I, uh, I basically managed to... I guess, uh, eke out or, well, kill his models a bit quicker than he was managed to, managing to kill mine. Um, oh, yeah. He, uh, he managed to get some ice pillars in the way in the beginning. I deployed pretty centrally, and he blocked off a bit with the ice pillars. Um, and during the game, Thune managed to put some stuff into ice pillars. He has a trigger that basically turns a model into an ice pillar. But if you then... Thune is so good. Yeah, uh, but if you then break that ice pillar, the model just pops back out. Uh, so I always managed to have another model nearby that you could pretty easily pop out the uh, the frozen model again. So yeah. he managed to put stuff in, but um, I pretty efficiently got it back out again. So it didn't impact that much, at least. 
So what was the final score? The final score was 7-2. So I managed to climb back go. out. Uh, nice. And had the... So at the end, both my match against Alexander and Joachim's match against Alexander was 7-2. And then both of our matches against Chorus was 5-3. <laughs> so we really played exactly the same scores. You really did. You guys, you guys, you guys honestly came to the tie because <laughs> you played each other to a tie as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so I I've talked to a couple Neverborn players and I've I've played against Euripides twice. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll I'll keep my thoughts to myself real quick, but I, I hear a lot of Neverborn players that that are concerned that Euripides they feel is behind the curve. Um do you think um th- that's true um ever, after playing against Euripides? Um or do you think uh, he's strong, he's weak, or what what are you what's your take? I probably agree that he's a bit behind the curve. There, are, there are some nice things there. Um, he's the main mechanic, the the old ways, managing to like pick up the top card of this card pile. That's pretty good, at least uh, if you haven't faced him that much. Because at least I, several times during the games, uh, like you just forget that, and then you attack something, and oh, there's a thirteen at the top of this card pile, and yep. you just missed that attack then. Um, but yeah, it feels like there's something missing in the crew. The the crew is a bit squishy. Most of them just have hard kill like as a defensive measure. And then like if you have some efficient beaters, then you just chew through that. Um, so something is missing there, perhaps. But yeah, it's definitely playable. Oh, it's definitely playable, and I, and I think I think I fall where you do, which is um, maybe a little bit more durability would make make a big difference because you know that what's as good as that top deck, you know, using the top deck of the discard is um, the uh, Euripides player has to be really careful um, not to kill himself or set himself up to be killed rather easily. It um, it's one of those abilities that you read and you go, boy, that's so good, and then and there are times that it's you know it's game game changing um that they can do that uh, especially when they do it with a red joker mm. or a severe but um by around turn three if they were not careful they end up with a lot of really uh easy targets to start taking off the board um so i think the crew does does tend to struggle late game yeah <clears throat> so um I can't imagine how many laughs you guys must have had uh, with that exact perfect tie uh, in in, uh, in literally in every way. Um, Guys, what I want to do is I want to learn a lot more about um, really what your thoughts are about uh, the crews that you played. I want to talk a little bit about Malifaux third uh, third edition in general and um, kind of what does M3 look like in Sweden? Uh, So let's take one more break. We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. 
All right. So I, you know, one of the things that was a goal of mine in putting this podcast together is uh, to try to get as much, um, you know, international voices on here. Malifaux played all over the world. And um, I just don't don't feel like um, previously other podcasts um, have done a great job of, you know, covering it. Basically, you know, all through second edition, the only thing we ever heard from was the UK, the US and Australia. Um, so whenever I get an opportunity to get people from a different part of the world that doesn't uh, normally have a voice, I want to talk to them really in general about the game. Um, but unfortunately, the first thing we need to talk about is we need to talk about Shen Long because that's what everybody else <laughs> right. is talking about. So you can, I don't want to, you know, spend too much time on it, but um, as a Shen Long player, you know what you're afraid of. You know, um, you know that it's much harder to play him than I think the opponents realize. So I'd like to get a sense from you, you know, uh, in games that you've lost with him or in games that, you know, things went south. What are things that people need to keep in mind before they start talking about him being the greatest thing since sliced bread? Yeah. So, well, basically there are like a combination of smaller things that you could exploit if you end up facing Shenlong. Um, he is scary. And I think that big kind of fear factor is one of the things that uh, stop people from uh, playing against him in an efficient manner. Uh, so one of the big things about him is that he is really potent and efficient. He can kill just about any kind of model, uh, which is uh, definitely scary. But it does take quite a lot of cards to do so. Um, he is stat 6, and he can go up to stat 8 if you do the whole thing with stacking a lot of chi. So he will probably hit, but he might need to cheat for that. And when it comes to damaging, he flips negative flips to positive flips so he uh, has a decent chance of actually doing good damage but most of the time you want to have some sort of severe card to be able to shoot that five damage instead of just two or three yep especially if you have a stone for a ram to make the damage irreducible um so you can basically expect against the Shenlong player that they shouldn't have many more cards. Uh, they shouldn't have high cards left after uh, Shenlong has acted. So you can take that time to try to basically drown him in attacks or mm -hmm. go after the rest of his crew if they are, well, either if they're tactically important to remove or preferably if uh, some of the squishy models have overextended since that's quite easy to do. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's so easy when you lose to Shenlong the first couple times, um, just to remember, um, your side of the board. Um, and I think that the, your points are good ones, which is he's going to spend a lot of resources. Like, so for example, how many stones do you bring? Yeah, that's one of the maybe strange things about my way of playing him. Uh, I have, since basically the beta, been playing mostly 10 soul stones. Wow. Definitely with Shenlong, I always bring 10 soul stones, and I feel like I bring too little if I have to bring 8, because I need, yep. need to switch out some sort of model. Uh, and I do play I do play with a big cash, regardless of which master I play, basically. 
Yeah. And, and, and you think about it though, I mean, those 10 stones are going to bring a lot for you, right? Cause you're going to be able to stone for the irreducible trigger. If you need it, you're going to be able to, you know, keep them standing by, you know, re- reducing damage to your point, as you said, he's card hungry in order for him to do what he needs to do. Um, so, you know, that, that um, that big of a cash I could see as being very useful, but that means you've only got 40 stones worth of models on the table, um, which is, you know, again, those opportunities. I think one of the things that Peter on the deep dive mentioned um, is, you know, start, it, start nicking away at his crew because it's going to typically be his crew that scores the points while Shen Long is causing problems. Um so I think that that's very helpful um, for doing that. Um, is there other uh, Ten Thunders Masters that you've been uh, getting a lot of play with, or has uh, Shenlong been dominating your games? Uh, I actually haven't really been playing Shenlong all that much. Um, I focused on Misaki since back in the beta, and I tried to uh, I tried to get a lot of games in and give feedback and make sure that she uh, she would keep on being fun since I absolutely love her new mechanic yeah. she was the first master i picked up back in second edition i wanted to pick up shenlong back in second edition but he uh, his crew box wasn't out yet so i got misaki and basically fell in love with her kind of play style and it is it has only gotten much much more fun uh, in m3e that's great that's great have you uh have you played with asami or any of the other ones yet uh, yeah, I have. I have tried Asami for a bit, and I do think that she will be at least one of my uh, projects coming up. I'm excited about trying quite a few different things with her, and I think she is definitely competitive. She might even be more competitive than Shenlong when it comes to uh, her entire list. Right. And I do, I do expect that Shenlong should get some sort of nerf, which I honestly think he should be getting. So let's let's pretend uh, that uh, you were part of that process. Where do you think they could, uh, you know, touch him up a little bit without turning him into garbage? Oh, such a difficult question. Uh, but basically, I think it is the combination of him being able to use drunken kung fu to flip negatives to positives uh, on his regular attack that also has really good triggers. Yeah. Uh, I would lean towards at least trying some sort of change where he either has to spend chi every time he wants to uh, flip from a negative to a positive with mm-hmm. drunken kung fu, so that his resource generation is a bit more strained. Or if you want to be, if you want to try a more a slightly harsher uh, change, I would make it so that only falling rave kick. The action he gets from his fermented river style upgrade benefits from drunken kung fu. Ah, I gotcha. For for some harder decision points for the Shenlong player. Yeah, exactly. And I think that would make uh, it would give incentive to more often use the other styles, which I feel definitely was the intention. Yep. Yeah, I'll tell you the other thing too that um, I don't hear talk about enough, and I'd like I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this. Is that I think part of what makes Shen Long so good is the incredibly powerful, stable, of versatile models that Ten Thunders has. Um, and I wonder if the Shen Long problem might be a versatile model problem, not a Shen Long problem. Um, do you think? Uh, do you think that? The, his ability to really bring in such good versatile models is also a factor in what you know people recognize. Uh, 
I definitely think so. Uh, as you said, Tentanders have a lot of really good, uh, really good versatile models. And now that everyone has heard about how the Shenlong player who won UK Nationals have been playing, uh, basically most of what made his list so powerful is not Shenlong in himself, right. I think, but rather the combination of really strong versatile models and the way that he used them. So yep. I think this is like another example of where you could use those exact models in just about any Ten Thunders uh, crew, in a crew led by any master, and it would be super strong. No, I agree. In fact, you know, for me, a big part of balance, um, because I, I'm a firm believer that one of the main things that makes Malifaux Malifaux is that, you know, you build to the pool, you build to the um, to the uh, opponent. And I think the keyword system did a great job of p- making Malifaux feel more like Malifaux. And um, m- my concern about the Ten Thunders is not about Shenlong. It's about how good all of those versatile models are. And I don't pretend to have an answer for it, but we're seeing a little bit of that, um, the same crew coming with different masters in 10 Thunders and less and less, except for Asami, less and less keyword models being brought in. Um, and for me, that's that's making it less Malifaux. So I'd be very interested to see, um, you know, if Weird does anything with that. And it's, I'm not sitting here telling you that I think, you know, 10 Thunders are overpowered as a faction or they're the strongest faction there is. I, I'm not saying that at all. What bothers me is that I'm seeing less variety in the 10 Thunders crews, um, which is, I think, is, it creates a balance issue within the, the faction itself. I actually pretty much agree with you. That uh, might be dumb to do so, seeing as I am a Ten Thunders <laughs> master, uh, Ten Thunders player rather. Uh, but but would you rather? Wouldn't you rather see the monks be better so that you were bringing more monks into your monk crew? Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. One of the big parts I really love about third edition is uh, bringing back like the incentive to play thematic lists yep. much more so than you did in second edition uh, it's one of the main selling points of the game I think so I want to see thematic lists being viable most of the time me too me too so Victor um, you play my favorite faction of all time um, and uh, I'm kind of my first question or what I want to find out from you is, you know, Sandeep was, was your guy and, and you really, there's, there's two reasons why you would play the same master, or three reasons I would say to play the same master one. Um, it's the one you're the most familiar with and in a competitive environment, the more familiar you are with your crew, the better off you're going to do uh, Two, It's the only one you have. Um, is another reason why you might do it. And then third, it's because uh, he's the best choice, even you had, though you had mul- you know six different opponents and six different pools. Uh, which of those were true for you? Um, I guess it would actually be a slight combination of all of them. Um, he is one of the more... Uh, the masters I've played the most during uh, M3E, at least in the in the last part. Um, I've played a bit of carries recently as well. Um, but at least for this tournament, I felt like the most comfortable playing uh, Sandeep. Um, yeah, 
as to the the like only having a master available i definitely have other masters available though i do think that there's some uh, some scenarios where sandeep isn't like the optimal pick uh, right as i mentioned earlier reckoning isn't really something i th- think he's the best in uh, and at least I've been looking at uh, Colette being really good for at least plant explosives and she more is. schemey and fast pulls uh, though I don't have all of the things I, I want for Colette so I didn't have the Corifice at least currently um, so that wasn't really an option for this tournament um, is there a um, is there an arcanist keyword or master that you think um, needs a little bit of help um, that uh, you you wish was better so that you would uh, could focus on it more? Um, I think that most of them are in a pretty good spot. Um, yeah, I haven't tried out uh, May Feng. Uh, or Hoffman. I only tried Colette a little bit, um, so I can't really talk about Hoffman or Mayfeng. Though I think those those look fine at least. At least Hoffman has been looking really good. Um, yeah. Perhaps Marcus is uh, is a master that I I liked. I really like Marcus, or like the he was the first master that I got in M two E, and I really wanted him to work and uh, did play him a bunch in the beta. Um, but I don't know after the beta I didn't really click with him uh, I'm not sure yep. if he's if he's uh, too bad or whatever to like play in a if you really want to win in a tournament or if it's just that I don't know he is not really playing the way I would like him to play um, yeah he's he, he, I think he does need a little bit of help um uh I like his mechanics yeah. um and my the one thought I had about Marcus is um his three new models the order initiates um they're gorgeous models I love those sculpts but um you never see a Marcus player bring uh usually they bring none of them I might bring one of them so I wonder if uh beefing up that model a little bit um could could help get Marcus on the table because I think from a play style standpoint standpoint he's pretty unique within the faction but uh just just not quite strong enough so i, I agree with you yeah uh, mostly i think the like the the higher end is at least okay the blessed of december is good and the cerberus is good yep. miranda is pretty good Kojo might be like at least passable uh, at least with i think the toss has some some interesting capabilities and he's like, yep. like okay at some at many things um but like the lower end is probably where he struggles uh, i don't really yep. like the mole man i don't really like the horcats either um so like the lower end is struggling and perhaps that's something where the or initiates could be uh, if they like were reducing cost and perhaps altered a bit they could fill that slot instead because at seven yep. why wouldn't you just pay a point more and get the cerberus exactly it's often yep, exactly and, and really i mean i think the thing for the order initiates is it um if you push them down to help shore up that lower end of the soul stone hiring um that could be enough um to to make the difference um so victor you played through beta right yeah um, so coming out of beta and now, you know, several months of playing M3E, um, well, one, uh, did you, do you think the game is in a better place than it was in two? 
yeah, I I at least really like a lot of the changes that have been done. As you've previously mentioned, the the keyword system that really um, tries to diversify the lists uh, is something that I really really love. Um, getting more or more variety on the table is a really good thing for M3 or for Malifaux in general. Yeah. And I mean, it does feel like a better game, uh, probably than second edition. So, popularity wise, um, where where are things in Sweden now versus where they were uh, at the height of two? Do you guys have about the same player base around, uh, or is it um, grown, or is it shrank? Um, at the during the beta, as probably most of the, from like most of the places, it. it did die down quite a bit. Uh, we were a core group of people that did play at least a bit during the beta, but most of the people who had Malifaux as perhaps their their second game. Many people here play uh, Age of Sigmar or Warhammer 40k or like War Machine or other other games, and perhaps has Malifaux as their second game, or um, then they, they like fell off um, mostly during the beta. Um, yeah, some of them have come back, but I think we still have plenty, plenty more players to bring in uh, if we work a bit on it. Yeah. So, Andreas, I got a question for you. Um, let's pretend you could wave a magic wand and uh, make one wish. What do you think could happen um, to to really take the amount of people that play uh, Malifaux to the next level? What do you think could happen to really grow the game? Um, what what can really grow it is uh, I would really like to uh, I would really like to see more people take up and like like you like make more videos about it and like really like advertise more about it and see and show everyone what good, great game this is. Um, you are, if I may say it, the the best out there right now for <laughs> thank for, you. <laughs> If you want to, if you want to know Malfoy, it's it's the first of wars that everyone should take a look at. Um, just see if we can just make it out, keep it a voice up, and see if we can bring in more people. Uh, from my experience and from what I've seen, also that uh, I think more people would love this game if they just took the chance and try it. But there's so many people that are so comfort, uh, comfortable with what they're doing. If they play 40k, they want to play 40k, they love 40k. I have no problem. That's, that's really good for them, but they, they don't even, don't want to even try anything other. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's sad when they, when there's, Probably they would really love it, but they wouldn't even take the time to try it. Yeah, I've yet to show Malifaux to somebody um, and play a demo game with them and then not come out of it saying, yeah, yeah, this is this is something I want to do again. Um, so I think your I think your point's a good one. I think something that can be very helpful and it's something we try to do here in North Carolina in the U.S. is we try to stop playing in each other's houses and, and play at the game stores. Um, and I think that increases the profile of the game um, and helps to get up there. Um, I, you know, I think hopefully soon we'll start seeing uh, the availability of models um, increase. Um, I think that would help um, 
kind of get it out there. But your initial point is a good one, which is, um, you know, we've only got a handful of podcasts right now covering Malifaux and even fewer channels um, on YouTube. Um, so for those of you listening, uh, there's only one way uh, to do that, and that's for you to grab a mic and start recording. Um, and if you need any advice or anything, people can reach me on Facebook. Um, Kyle is uh, uh, over at Schemes and Stones is also very generous. Um, and same with Doug on uh, The Scoundrels. Um, it uh, we, we definitely could uh, to hear some more. People are tired of hearing me, so... Um, uh, I'm definitely with you. So, Andreas, I, w- I do want to talk about our faction, uh, the Rezzers faction. Um, do you kind of, if you were forced to kind of tier uh, the keywords, uh, what do you think is kind of the top tier um, in our faction and who do you think is struggling? Uh, so the top tier will be Albus. It will be Molly and um, Ed would say Karai. Yeah. Um, Jean Lo is up there. Uh, I haven't played him that much yet and I know there's like much people liking him, I liked him too. But I, uh, I just need more games with mm-hmm. him. But uh, I know he's he's just up there. Um, people that needs help are um, one that I actually haven't yet to play yet. But I, just by looking at her, uh, she uh, she she didn't look as ex- as exciting, and I, I never seen anything writing thing about her. It's Riva. Yeah. Um, she she just. Looks like she underperformed. She's just not that interesting. Anything she took away the one thing that make her made her really really exciting in the second and just cut it in half and added some pyro markers. It just yeah. The thing about Reva is that you know you read her card and you read her crew and she reads confusing. Um, she she just you're not quite sure what what's the idea here. She just seems confused um, and. It uh, it's even worse when you try to play her. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah. like sometimes you'll read something and, and then you get it on the table. You're like, oh, okay, now this kind of makes sense. I, I've put her on the table three or four times now, and and she gets worse in my mind uh, the more I play her, and it's because. Uh, there's not only is there a scatter of what she's trying to do, it's unfocused, but it's, it, 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 they actually fight each other. Um, and it it just makes it tough and don't get me wrong. I, you know, I don't, in every faction, there's going to be the masters that are quote unquote better and those that are weaker. Um, I just feel like from a design perspective, uh, Reva, Reva needs to find a place in Rezzers and she doesn't have one right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, uh, I hope to see if she can get tweaked a bit because I love her model. I love her crew. Like, it, Me too. It, it looks good. It, 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 they were really fun in M2E. Uh, yep. But I want to see her come back again and see if they can make something with her. Uh, yep. w- one small thing also, like so many other have pointed out too as well, it's just uh, Seamus' crew. Not Seamus himself, but his crew uh, or his keyword in general. It's too... Uh, hard to make it work efficiently. When you get it to work and you get that minus VP out, uh, minus flip for VP drills, it's really great, but it's you're not supposed to clump up in M3 and there's, if you group up like that, you will most likely be punished for it. Yeah, you know what I feel like with Red Chapel, Andreas, is I feel like we're one model away from that keyword clicking. And I don't know what that one model is going to be, but I think that if if they could bring out one or maybe two more Red Chapel models or maybe tweak Bat or tweak uh, Sabelle a little bit, and it, it would become uh, a, 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 a different 
type of thing. Um, but I definitely get the point you're making. Uh, in the beta, he had this interesting keyword before they changed it. So he was, the, all his models keyword were able to uh, basically pass their turn like they could activate, but they just choose not to. Uh, then they would get them, mm-hmm. uh, um, they would get an effect and then the, it would be the opponent's turn. So basically, it's a pseudo pass token. So you can always make sure to be the last player. Um, there was a lot of complaints about this because it contradicts the whole idea with the pass token in general. So mm-hmm. uh, it made him more unique that way. But they, in the when the when the new uh, devs took over, they removed it and uh, put uh, changed to this one. Yeah, yeah, and it. Um, I mean, uh, we had. Uh, I think that uh, Stephen did a great deep dive on Seamus and and really showed where some of that power is, and that play style of that he talked about. Not the uh, peekaboo Seamus, but um, more of a uh, you know pushing stuff around and pushing stuff into Seamus. I think uh, with you know one or two more models that kind of fit that play style, and suddenly I think you have something that could be uh, truly unique. Um, Andreas, so we're gonna. T- I want to talk about some plugs, and you're the first one I'm gonna go to because. Um, you are a content creator and um, I think that you have been putting out some good stuff. Um, so let's talk about, a little bit about uh, what you've been doing. Yeah, so uh, I've been do- what I've been doing is like I figured out I wanted to do a show off, show off Malifaux, so I started to make battle reports on my YouTube channel. Um, I have three of them and then it kind of died off my channel. Uh, it's not that I... Um, I never lost interest in it. It's just that I I even recorded two more battle battle reports, but they were flawed in different ways. And I won't, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I want only to put out <laughs> the best. Uh, and then it was some other things. I became a dad again, and it just real life just consumed me. So I didn't have yeah. any more time for the uh, for. Uh, uh, my hobby. Uh, I am about to uh, reawake uh, my channel again. I really hope to be keep posting, uh, start to post uh, M3 battery Porsche again, and I really hope to uh, that uh, people will uh, enjoy it and and hopefully even train more people to it again. Yeah, and I'm going to have a link to Andreas' channel here in the show notes. I can tell you guys that um, the stuff that he did put out is really, really good and um, put you on the spot, man. I would love, and, and trust me, nobody gets it better than I do as far as the pressure of real life and you know trying to put this together. And and I do think that people appreciate just, just how much time it takes to do it and to do it well. Um, but um, I, I, you, you, I would really love to see some more from you. So if you can find the time, man, uh, I am a huge fan of the material that you put out and would love to see more. So um, you've got me waiting for you. Um, And then now the pressure's on because your link is going to be in the show notes and everybody's going to want to go over there and see some more. Um, uh, Victor, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, nothing for myself, but I guess I'll plug the our, our local big tournament, which this was a part of the this tournament that we talked about was a part of. Um, so basically, two times a year, our local uh, game shop does a big tournament for both Malifaux, but also uh, Warmer for the Cage of Sigma and War Machine, and uh, uh, sometimes some other smaller games as well. Um, 
next time will be in May, the 9th and 10th of May. So you're all welcome to come up here. It's usually a lot of people. Um, we'll hopefully have more Malifaux people there, but in total, we've we always uh, are uh, for all of the games uh, more than a hundred people here. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's a great event. I think it was about one hundred fifty this year. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's a big big tournament. Uh, like usually, like a hundred forty k players, and then uh, a bunch of other games. Well, so the, the, your goal, Victor, is to turn that into 100 Malifaux players. Yeah, of uh, course. Let's, of course. Let's, <laughs> tell, tell them for a tenth of the price they can play a better game. <laughs> that would be nice. It would be. Yukim, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I think I just want to give a shout out to our local henchman, Eric, who has been making... Uh, well, basically doing a huge job with making sure we have uh, tournaments fairly uh, regularly and also trying to do uh, a few of the things you mentioned, actually, uh, trying to have more people show up to play at the game store, yeah. try to get new people to demo for new people and to basically grow the Malifaux scene uh, over here. So I just want to give a big thanks to him. Yeah, the henchmen are so great, um, and every 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 good uh, meta has has a good henchman that, that's really behind the scenes. But um, a little too often, I hear when we talk when I hear people complain that you know the game's not really big, we don't have a henchman, our henchman doesn't do a whole lot. Um, I would love to see the community take a little bit more ownership um, of growing the game themselves. And just one little thing that um, we really have um, made a point of doing here in, in in uh, North Carolina. And it's why I think the North Carolina meta has grown the way it has is one, like I mentioned, playing in the stores, being visible. Um, I mean, I used to host games all the time here on the third floor. I've got eight tables set up on the third floor for Malifaux. And we used to come here and play a lot, but now we play at the stores for that visibility. The second thing is obviously not during a tournament, but when you're playing casually and somebody comes up and shows interest, stop playing for a second. Engage them, uh, talk to them, let them know if they have any questions or they're wondering what's going on. Um, I think one of the things that makes Malifaux special is um, we're unlike a lot of other tabletop games um, in the type of people that play this game uh, tend to be uh, a little bit of a different mentality than, say, uh, some of the other games out there. And um, if their first encounter, uh, they walk over and they see pretty models on a table, two people having a lot of fun who then stop and seem welcoming. Uh, it can it can do a lot to change the game. Well, gentlemen, I hope this is not the last time I have you guys on the show. I really enjoyed this. Um, I think, uh, um, you know, uh, we want to hear more uh, from your part of the world. Um, the one last question I have, um, and I, Andreas, maybe you can answer this for me, is, you know, you kind of talked about the media that's out there and you know it's pretty much dominated here right now in m3e a lot of the u.s uh, content coming out i'd be curious to know is there stuff that you hear about either the uk or the u.s metas that seem uh odd or very different than um what you see as far as the game in sweden um so the the, the thing with the meta is like it's so interesting it's like one of the things i love to hear both from america and england like the tournament wrap-ups that both Kyle and I and you do on your show is I, it's so interesting to hear because I 
as many others, I love to crunch the numbers and see and try to see how things are turning and the differential how how it looks from the continents and the different parts of the world. Um, yeah. So for me, it's it have a really huge impact to see how how different it is, uh, and I also can see that uh, how, how only from the active. Um, uh, from the active um, faction groups we have on Facebook and how we're talking from person to person, how they experience different monsters and how they play. It's it's really interesting. Yes, yes, this game, uh, yes, this uh, game in day two, uh, I had a man walk over to me and said, like, uh, I also faced the Molly play today and she plays uh, so different from how you did it. It was like mm-hmm. a completely different monster. Uh, even you play the same monster and that's so fun to hear and just, um, I'm just so curious how, how their game went. Yeah, yeah. It um it uh it, it is it is really interesting um to kind of hear the differences. I mean, here in the US we have huge differences just within the country, you know, because we're so spread out from each other. Um and it is it's fascinating and this comes back to what you and I already talked about, which is I'd love to hear some more voices out there so that we can learn more um because I love hearing how other people play the game. Um all right guys, I want to thank everybody who was listening uh for sticking around and uh gentlemen, until we talk again Again, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. You guys are pros. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a nervous, nerve-wracking thing to... Uh, yeah, I, I, kind of recording. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, the first time I was on a podcast, I got all nervous too. Um, just remember that, like you know, it, it, like you forgetting Toshiro's name and stuff like that. I'll edit all that out. All right, guys. Um, I was really hoping that we would be able to cover this far in the first hour, and we did because uh, I really want to spend a lot of time talking about um, just general stuff at the end. So um, cool. I, I appreciate the efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like yeah. There's a lot to cover, but uh, I try to keep it short. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's it, it, when you start talking like you know activation to activation, you you, you lose two thirds of the people don't care, right? What they what they want to get is just a general sense of how the game went. And uh, all three of you have done a very good job of you know saying this is what was significant and kind of you know here's something that's interesting or you can learn from. So um, you guys are uh, doing a great job. Yeah, that's going smoothly. Yeah, it's good. It's good. That was going to be a good episode. I realized I didn't really uh, stick to the like uh, 
suggested order of going through the games. Uh, might have been a bit chaotic, I realize, but I hope it's okay. Oh, no, you can, it was all good content, man. All good content. No, I, um, right. I think everybody covered what they needed to cover. Uh, yeah. No complaints at all. Have you had any Watch Dogs games yet? I have yet to play them, man. I've got. <laughs> I, I, I don't play unpainted models. Yeah. Um. So, and one, I've got to stop. I have to stop taking commissions. Um. Because I just my my stuff isn't painted. Um. And I've got I've got a half a Lucius box. I got to paint for a guy. Um. And that's still not done. Um. I just got the Marvel game and. Uh, just to take a break, I started painting Hulk. Um, and now I just want to paint all of them, you know, because it's <laughs> just new models and stuff. So unfortunately I, I, there's no way he'll get painted this year. It's going to be probably spring before I have Unstuck painted. Which the sucks. sad thing is like you do this for your love to the board game so much, but by doing this, you cut the time to do the thing you love. <laughs> oh, it, no question. I mean, the podcast between recording and editing probably takes up 10 hours a week of my life. Yeah. Um, it's a lot it, of time. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is a lot of time. Um, the dumbest thing I ever did was say I was going to put this out weekly. That was stupid. <laughs> but um, uh, I also wonder, like, uh, uh, what happened with your uh, battery reports? So, and this is time. Um, you know, it takes it takes literally an entire day, like from like 10 a.m. to, you know, seven, you know, 10 hours to record one of those. Now I'm back in. And, oh, hey, Victor. Um, It it takes about 10 hours to record them, and then it takes probably 30 hours to edit them. Mm. Um, And now we have really are starting to get good at the live streams, and the live streams take three, four hours, and there's no editing. Um, So I'm sure we'll do another pre-recorded battle report at some point, Um, but because of time, it's just those live streams are so much easier to do. 